I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Anne Basting, Ph.D., a creative gerontologist. She's an author and professor of English at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, and her new book is Creative Care Imagination Kit. A leader in transforming aging and elder care, Anne Basting sparks conversation and encourages active listening, allowing all ages to freely share ideas and stories without worrying about getting the details correct. She offers us a proven way to foster imaginative and story-based activities among diverse groups and families, especially caregivers of loved ones and those suffering from dementia and Alzheimer's. Her years of research have shown that these practices stimulate the brain and awaken the imagination, adding wonder and awe not only to the daily lives of those with dementia, but to all family members, and provides them with a means of connection and communication. She's spoken or been featured in the PBS documentary Penelope, the TED Med stage, and NPR's All All Things Considered. Welcome to the show, Anne. Nice to have you on. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Well, I like your title, Creative Gerontologist, because that's exactly what you are. You've been in the business for over 30 years. Things have changed in the gerontology business. Um, So let's talk about that, because your approach to working with and connecting with uh, or caregivers and family members, connecting with those they're taking care of is very different than what the traditional sort of, uh, as a social worker, the way I was trained, um, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. De- definitely. And in some, in some ways, things have changed and they haven't, you know, um, not quite enough change. We still, we still have a lot, to, uh, a lot further to go. I think in the beginning, we, we looked at um, reminiscence um, and reorienting people with dementia to the moment, um, bring them back um, when really that's an approach right into the loss and we know now it's a progressive condition and that really focusing on that heavily and expecting the person to, to remember is, is frustrating, uh, involves some shame. Um, and nine times out of 10, the pathway in the brain for a factual piece of information to travel is broken. Um, but the work I've been doing um, around improvisation and creativity and imagination creates this shared space where there are no wrong answers and there are a million pathways in the brain for information to travel um, because you can you can create something new together. Yeah, I think one of the things, and, and I, I think I'm guilty of it, I have an elderly mother and uh, two brothers, and we all relate to her in a different way. And I realized after reading your book, actually, I, I'm just challenged, you know, I was so in sort of wanting to make sure that she remembers things in the way they should be remembered, or if she makes a mistake about I'm correcting her to make sure that we're sticking to the reality of things. And I have to say, after reading your book, I realized this is not the way to go. This is just like, as you say, it makes people feel bad that they lost their or losing their memory. It doesn't uh, enhance the connection. It, it, it really just kind of cuts you off from them. So uh, I do have to thank you. For, uh, it's been very helpful personally, as well as obviously professionally. But yeah, so let's, let's so be more specific. 
Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say I'm so glad, and I, I think the, the simplest way, there's a chapter, there's actually two pieces. There's the, the book Creative Care, and then there's the care, Creative Care Imagination Kit, and in the book itself, there's a whole chapter on Yes And, which is, you know, the core of improvisation and being in the present moment together, um, and that's really where the secret is for exactly what you're describing, for embracing and accepting where the person is in the moment, because, you know, with short-term memory loss and with, with um, cognitive changes, the person can't hold the information that you're going to correct them with, um, and so it's it's just being there and connecting emotionally is much more successful. It's almost like chastising a child, you know, when you're teaching your five-year-old and they, they say something incorrectly and you make the correction and it's sort of you're doing the same thing to an older person or to a person who has dementia or Alzheimer's, um, correcting them. And it, as you say, it can't really be corrected because they can't hold the, the memory. Um, but you talk about beautiful questions. What are beautiful questions? That's one way of sort of get of maintaining or getting this connection. Um, and you describe it as uh, freedom of imagination. Let's talk about those things because um, obviously that's what the Creative Care Imagination Kit is about. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And uh, if you see it, there's a little communication loop that's part of this whole process. And the core is yes and, and it's improvisation. It's compelled forward by what we call beautiful questions. And it's affirmed by what we call offering proof of listening. So that's the little communication loop. A beautiful question, um, I I used to call them open-ended questions, but then it, it really became so clear that it's an art to, to figure out how to ask them that I, I started just calling them beautiful questions because it really pulls you into a poetic moment together. Um, they're they're um, no right or wrong answer. They open up this the moment together so that you can share it. Um, and they they tap into um, strengths and senses and a, and a sense of wonder together. So the, the kit, the imagination kit, has cards in it that have, there's 15 cards with 15 beautiful questions in them. Um, and those are like an example is what, um, what gift would you give the next generation? There's, there's no right or wrong answer there, right? Um, if you could lift your arms right now and fly anywhere, where would you go? Um, and a person can say absolutely anything and it's, and it's great. Um, then could the, you give us an example of to, like, could you give us an example? I just kind of want to go back a little bit. Let's say just in a regular sure. situation, you're with your loved one, you know, you're with a family member who has dementia and uh, just a, a sort of an everyday situation. They say something, it's incorrect, <laughs> factually incorrect. Yeah. How do you change yeah. that? You know, how do you interact or connect by asking a beautiful question rather than saying, oh, no, that's, you know, that, that's that, you know, that's wrong, you know, and, and correct them. So what, what do you do? Give us like a, a scenario. Sure. You know, I'll go right to the scariest one, which is <laughs> you, you are, uh, say, my mother who's experiencing dementia, um, I sit down with her and she looks me straight in the eye and, and calls me the, the name of her mother or or my sister, and she doesn't know who I am. I think that is 
the scariest place for, for caregivers and people who love someone experiencing dementia. And in that moment, you know, there's a, usually a rush of sort of heat and sorrow and loss. But if you can pull that question out, you can walk around it and really connect with the person. And, and what I counsel people to do is say, like, if, if my mother said, um, it's so good to see you, Ellen, uh, which is the name of my sister, I would say, um, uh, my, th- Ellen is my sister, and I, uh, let's talk about Ellen. I miss her, too. She's, um, you know, wh- tell me about Ellen. How does Ellen, what, when you think of Ellen, what do you think of? You know, that's a beautiful question. Um, cause so you, you no don't say, answer. Mother, I'm Anne, I'm your other daughter. That's not what you say. Yeah. You don't redefine the facts and make her feel terrible for, uh, for using the wrong name. You simply affirm where she is and what she's saying and open it up. Um, tell me more about Ellen. Um, let's write a poem to Ellen. You know, what are three words you think of when you think of Ellen? Uh, things like that. Um, another one is if a person can't, this is a great example that's from real life from a friend of mine who was caring for his wife who had Alzheimer's and they're at the kitchen table and she can't, she wants the ketchup, but she can't say the name of ketchup. And so she, instead of sort of correcting her and giving her the answer, um, they say, what do you want to call it? And she says, the red sauce. Let's call it the red sauce. Okay, here's the red sauce. <laughs> you know, let the person define the world for themselves. Um, open up the moment with a beautiful question. What do you want to call it? Yeah, that's a great, and it's really a simple, it's, it's not difficult to do, and obviously it's less difficult to do if you get your, learn from the Creative Care Imagination Kit. What other things, what other tools do we have in the kit that we can call upon. You started giving an example in the beginning. Now we have some like real life scenarios. So what are there? Sure. What other, yeah. What other kinds of, of uh, what other things are available well, in the kit that we can use in everyday situations? Sure. And uh, I'll, I'll say that the kit, I'm opening it, which is the sound of the Velcro you hear. <laughs> I, we hear the Velcro. Um, yeah, the uh, the ideas in the book are laid out very simply, sort of the core elements of this approach that I call creative care. Um, the yes and, the beautiful questions, the proof of listening, opening yourself to wonder, um, connecting to the larger world. And um, there's examples at the end of this, those chapters for what each of those, um, how you can incorporate those things into your real life. But I also just hear from people just put it in a box. I just want it in a box because <laughs> caregivers, you know, uh, it's hard. It's hard to hold your own life together and hold together a world and a life for another person. And so that's what this is. We put it in a box. And it's, it's, we also wanted it to be beautifully designed because there's just uh, there's something about beautiful design that tells you you're honored and valued. And there's not enough of that in long-term care or in dementia care. So that it's also really lovely with illustrations from um, an artist who's actually from Barcelona named Violetta Noy. Um, So it has a journal that has 
um, instructions, super simple, the story of where it comes from, sample story prompt questions, the beautiful questions, um, and then blank pages with some um, inspiring quotes to keep you going and some um, lined pages for you to write responses. So the journal becomes sort of a log of your your creative time together. And then there's two packets of cards. One is um, the beautiful question cards with what we call thoughtful actions on the back. And then there's um, 15 image cards that you can use to prompt improvisational stories together. Um, and those uh, range, they're just playful. They look, they're images that look like they have a story to tell. Um, and they're, they're easy to just pull out of the kit and take with you somewhere if you're going to a restaurant and, or a waiting room at the doctor's office or at home, you know, your grandchildren come to visit and you aren't sure how to play together anymore. Um, it's just, we really wanted it to be something to bring joy to people's lives. Well, in doing that, and I can see how you do it with families um, who are caregivers, what about uh, nursing staff and assisted living facilities and nursing homes? Are, is this, this is something that those caregivers should be using as well, right? Definitely. And home care. There's a lot of home care, you know, um, aides who, who don't know what to do other than kind of watch TV the, together, right? Um, yeah. And this is just a simple thing that people can use um, to bring with them, you know, put in your bag and bring with you to, to as you're caregiving. Um, we, the nonprofit that I work with, Time Slips, um, has been offering training in this approach um, to to congregate care settings, so like assisted living or or um, or skilled care settings, memory care settings, uh, and and again we heard the same thing, which is oh please put it in a box. I just need those um, the images right at hand so that I can have them. And you know I I really um, imagine these almost being like at the desk so that staff can, you know, grab one and take it to a room if they're, if they're working with someone or use it in a group um, and to really understand the core philosophies so that they can use this sort of positive affirming approach in all of their programming. Um, we've also done major projects in long-term care settings where we cluster those creative workshops into a series that has a big outcome. It can be an art exhibit or um, a, a celebration event where you read all the stories that come out together. Or we did a big project a couple of years ago now where we reimagined the story of Peter Pan together. Um, and, and it all culminated in a, in a play um, that the staff and the elders welcomed the families and the community members to come in and experience the story. It was just beautiful. Yeah, and that's such in contrast to what, unfortunately, I see as a social worker still in these institutions, Pete, this, and I think you talk about it in your med talk um, that's on YouTube, mm-hmm. that, you know, the people who are in assisted living facilities and uh, nursing homes are still kind of engaged in this passive kinds of activities with watching television or being entertained not that being entertained is a bad thing but there's none of this like uh, sort of this involvement it's just sort of sitting there passively and listening and um you know sitting in a chair all day watching tv 
which is obviously not a good thing, but it still goes on. I mean, it, it seems to me. And also, there's another piece. I still see caregivers talking to elderly patients, talking baby talk, you know, not really seeing them as individuals, but seeing them as the elderly, you know, speaking to them in kind of a general way of relating rather than to looking at this person as an individual, as you say, if you, if you're giving, if you're doing, uh, if you have beautiful questions or, you know, using your creative care imagination kit, you're going to learn about this person um, as an individual, not just as an elderly patient with dementia. But. Yeah, and I, I think I totally agree, and I think that there's, um, you know, part of it is that they're, they're, as we learned during the pandemic, they're wildly understaffed, and the staff is not um, paid and supported as they, as they need to be. So it's difficult for care staff to take the time. And so I think a lot of shortcuts have, you know, uh, found their way into care practices, which is this sing-song generic address <laughs> yeah. um, that really, I think, creates a lot of anger, um, you know, and probably some of the challenges of of people being upset or um you know, the, the residents being angry um, comes from a, a disrespectful treatment uh, that really c- can be cured by changing the environment and the practices of care, um, not necessarily by drugging people more, right? Like that's, that's the solution in the institutional setting. Um, when you can create an environment where it's enriched and you're inviting people into expression of who they are and understanding of where they are and a a sense of meaning and purpose. These things are not difficult to do, um, you know, and it it just, you have to kind of create the mindset for it in those long-term care settings. And, uh, you know, my hope too is by bringing these tools to family members that they expect that now in long-term care and they can say to the the care center, why aren't you doing this? You know, you need to be doing this approach because we need pressure on the care systems to to change from expectations of family, from demands of the staff themselves, and and also I think the carrot and stick from regulation uh, as well. Yeah, I think you use the word frustration, and I think that the uh, people in those settings uh, get very frustrated because of the, that, as you say, the way they're being treated. And uh, the first line of, of defense for the nursing homes or assisted living facilities, long-term care facilities, is drugs. I mean, if you, you know, well, yeah. we'll just give him or her more medication, calm them down. Um, and that seems to be the number one still uh Go to solution for whatever problems are problems um, uh, that they are having with uh, their residents, right? Yeah, I mean, I think we have that as as in in the United States. I think we we turn toward the pill as the solution um, when we know, like like right now, we have. Um, a really controversial treatment uh, that was just approved by the FDA for um, 
for people with Alzheimer's, and it's very controversial. It doesn't show a lot of uh, impact, and yet they've approved it um, because that's where we find hope. And I, I really, we have at our fingertips right now so much that we that that gives hope for meaningful connection to people with Alzheimer's and dementia. That you can have a quality of life um, experiencing this. Um, with family members in a congregate care setting, if we address these issues of like the design of the environment, the in, the enrichment of activities and the way that they're offered, um, all of those things we know make the lives of people with dementia better and their, their families and caregivers. Um, but we have this tendency to turn toward uh, the pill um, or the, the biomedical treatment which really are years away still of providing real hope. Yeah. Well, we want to get the quick fix, I would say, yeah. right? That's really, yeah. yeah. Uh, you also talk about, I mean, when we're talking about the scope of the problem, uh, it's. I, I think I, I heard you say uh, in one of your talks that 47 million people worldwide are diagnosed with some form of dementia, and it's getting worse or more and more people. Well, there's, there's yeah, I mean, that's the number today, and it's set to, it's scheduled to triple. Um, we do, you know, it's a little testimony to the power of, of prevention in that, um, you know, the scientists have been a little surprised that in the, in the United States, the numbers have been going down a little bit. I mean, not, not a lot, but a little bit, and they attribute that to rates of this generation had higher rates of early childhood education and that it creates a bigger cognitive reserve in the brain so that you can, you don't see symptoms as early um, in, as other, as people who don't have that cognitive reserve. So we know a lot about the power of keeping your mind engaged all through your life um, and healthy eating and exercise um, as preventative against against dementia. Um, and, you know, like I said, there's, that's where I think a lot of the hope is, you know, I had this, this idea about, um, you know, giving doctors who give a diagnosis of dementia a folder of all the positive resources that we have and calling it hope today. So, so we could use it like the pharmaceuticals and say, ask your doctor about hope today. <laughs> because we know, we know what would be in that folder. All of these tremendous uh, programs in poetry and, you know, these different types of creative care approaches, um, changing the environment so that it's more friendly to people with dementia, um, creating and reducing stigma because social isolation because of stigma really compounds uh, the the negative impact of, of dementia. There's just, there's a lot we know right now that we can give people hope with. Let's talk about changing the environment, whether you're in someone's house, the person is staying at home. But let's start with that. How can one uh, change their environment if you are a caregiver at home for a, a, a loved one? Um, and, and he or she is living with you. What can you do? Well, one of the first things I talk about in, in, um, is, is a link to the stigma, which is I, I'm like dissolve the curtain of shame. Just let it go. I think at home people should not be afraid to, to, ha- to talk to neighbors, 
to just refuse to be shamed about the experience of dementia because the more you internalize it and are locked in together, we, we understand it now from the pandemic. It really, it can make you crazy to be isolated and just push to keep going out, ask, you know, your, ask around the community, do you have memory cafes? Do you, does your music, local museum where you've been going for years have programs to, um, specifically for people with dementia? They should. Many of them do now. And just keep going out um, and don't let a sense of embarrassment or shame stop you from having a meaningful life together. So that's my first one. Just dissolve that sense of shame and stigma. Just refuse it. Uh, it's time to do that. Alzheimer's and dementia are, are, gonna, are practically, with the numbers that we have, a new normal. Um, and that's where, that's where you are. So just, I have a, a, at the end of creative care, I wrote a letter to my sons about their grandmother's um, diagnosis and I said just just use it to educate people now like this is my grandma I love her and um, she has dementia that's that's what's happening you don't get freaked out right like uh, just dissolve it um, and then use your use your home as a as a creative prompt you know you can take a moment and look out the window and ask a beautiful question what what sound do you imagine that we hear and you can make a soundscape together about what you see out the window. Um, you can you can make uh, fill your own home with wonder instead of feeling like it's this oppressive four walls. Um, and Timeslips actually um, Timeslips.org has a lot of tools as well for that um, um, ongoing training and support for family caregivers to to figure out how to make your home environment one of enchantment. Um. We only have a couple minutes left, and there's obviously so much more, so many more questions I could ask you, but also so much more information in the book. So Creative Care Imagination Kit, a time slips engagement resource, Anne Basting, Ph.D., is the author of the book. Uh, You can buy it at bookstores everywhere, I assume, online. Yeah. Uh, So, Anne, tell us, give us a website and or websites we can go to for more information about the book and about your work and what you're doing. Sure. So the you're exactly right. Creative care, both the book itself and then the imagination kit, you can find anywhere you prefer to buy books. So online or take a stroll down to the local bookstore, and if they don't have it, they can order it for you. Um, Timeslips.org uh, is the nonprofit that I work with, and they have, like I said, training and support and a a whole uh, for for students, uh, for volunteers, for family caregivers, and for professional care settings. Um, and they have a whole creativity center that has hundreds of prompts there as well. So you can kind of dive in there and um, learn a lot more. Um, and then for my own work, if you're curious, it's just anne-basting.com. Um, and with an E and basting like a turkey, like I tried to say. Well, that's um, easy. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, so you, there's just a lot out there um, that I hope people find their way to because I know, I know how hard this is, and that living as a caregiver, living with um, a sense of loss and sorrow, 
to find a way to bring together the happy and the sad, um, to not get overwhelmed <clears throat> by the sense of, of, of sort of living grief, but to also find the wonder and the joy and the connection um, so that those last years can be beautiful. Ann Basting, thanks so much for being on the show today. Great talking it's to you. It's my joy. Yeah. Yeah, you as well. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 